Welcome everyone to today's episode of the Orton Gillingham podcast. Today, we're chatting with Mariana Champy, a school psychologist with more than 20 years of experience. She received her BA from Bowdoin College in Sociology, her master's in school psychology and certificate of advanced graduate study in literacy education from the University of Southern Maine, and has been trained in Orton-Gillingham for 16 years. Mariana is a mom of three, two of whom have ADHD and one of whom also has dyslexia. Her personal experience on the roller coaster of parenting and teaching enhance her commitment to the work of advocating for students who struggle. We'll be discussing what's involved in psychoeducational evaluations and the unique vantage point inherent in the school psychologist's job. Hi, Mariana. Welcome Hello. to the podcast. Hi, nice to see and hear you guys. Yeah, mm-hmm. awesome. Hello. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, welcome. We're so excited that you are joining us today. And Esther gave a nice intro with a little bit about what you do, but can you give us a little bit more of a background on, you know, where you work and the students that you work with, um, maybe what their ages are? Sure. Yeah. So I work as a school psychologist in Maine, and I am one of four school psychologists in the school system that I work with in Scarborough. It's a town that's medium to small size town. There's about 3000 students in the school district. And so the four of us are responsible for K through 12 students and the entire district. I'm part of the special education department and most school psychologists are usually part of the special education department. The reason we're on the payroll is to do psychoeducational evaluations that are required by law when we're looking at eligibility for for special education. And so that's the reason, again, the reason why we're on the payroll, that's our area of expertise. And so I tend to work more with younger children, elementary age, but the way things work, you know, we pretty much distribute, we, we, distribute the evaluations as they come in. And so I often end up working with older kids as well, but I am certified to teach at the secondary level. So I have like some expertise with the older kids as well, but my kind of area of specialty is more elementary. Do you like working with the younger students more? I do. Or? Yeah, yeah. I really, I, I, I enjoy it. And especially because I'm interested in reading that's kind of where it's at, you know, as far as just like looking at identifying difficulties with reading, like that's the time that is the is the best time to kind of come in and identify what's going on with kids. And so that the most hopeful area, and that's where really there's kind of more services available um, when we when it comes to reading too. My job isn't only looking at reading, it's kind of the whole spectrum. I look at like um, social and emotional well-being, also autism, ADHD, things like that. So it's kind of my job to identify if there's a disability or not when things are kind of going wrong for a student. People often kind of have the misconception that a school psychologist is like, it's like therapy and really a school psychologist for the most part. And, you know, and this is, it's kind of like for better or worse, for the most part, what we're doing is performing evaluations. So that means I see a student a couple times to do testing and um, spend time talking to their families, maybe observing them and writing reports. Um, And then I may not ever see 
see that student again, or I may see them in three years um, when they come up for a reevaluation. So the job of most school psychologists, or the big part of the job for most school psychologists is doing that diagnostic piece um, for special education, not so much therapy. There definitely are situations where we do consultation and things like that. But most of what we do is the evaluation. You know, so the town that I work into, it's a fairly, it's a fairly affluent town in southern Maine. Um, So, you know, there's some access to resources there. It's kind of, you know, as far as special ed goes, it's a kind of desire. It's a place where a family that might have a child with a disability, they might want to move to Scarborough Mm -hmm. because, you know, there's programs, you know, there's some programs that are strong for serving people with disabilities and things Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. You were just talking about doing those evaluations and just for anyone who might be listening and not familiar with what those entail, could you just tell us what does that involve when you do an evaluation, what you have to do? Mm -hmm. So really, it's funny, like when the system's working really well, when a student is referred to my office for an evaluation, we are already like in a direction where we have a referral question that's focused and we kind of know where to go. So basically a student who will be referred for an evaluation has struggled, you know, a teacher or parents have identified that the student is struggling in some area of learning and they've tried some things to try to help them through their their struggles, you know, so they've tried different support and collected information to try to target the kinds of supports that they've given and, you know, looked at the progress that's made to see if that progress has been successful or not. If they're still not seeing the results that they expected, then a referral will come to me with a question, with a referral question. So, um, and that kind of guides me on what to look for. So typically it will be something like, what are Tommy's cognitive strengths and weaknesses? And why is he having such a hard time learning to read? So not so specific kind of general question that a lot of the, a lot of the referral paperwork will come through with. But then also there'll be other information like why does Sally refuse to read out loud when she's such a good student and knows so much? Or why is Joe refusing to come to school? For the evaluation, I'll review that history and that referral question and then try to get an idea, some kind of hypothesis about what might be going on with, mm-hmm. with a student. And a meeting has already happened among the teachers and the family of the student to talk about why they would like to have an evaluation. Mm-hmm. And um, so there's kind of a big vetting process around um, doing the evaluation to, tr- tr- to try to make sure that um, we're doing everything that we can and not just saying there's something wrong with the student, mm-hmm. you know, because basically you're, because that's kind of what you're asking, you know, this is about the meat of the question is, is there a disability here that right. would make it appropriate for the student to have special education, mm-hmm. which, mm-hmm. you know, isn't something that should be taken lightly because it's a label that you're um, putting on a student. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it's something that, you know, that's, that sticks. And, and you, yeah. when you take them out of the mainstream, they're really kind of missing out on what we're considering, like the ideal kind of mm-hmm. education, you know, that, mm-hmm. that we're giving to everybody. And there's, you know, there's social repercussions for it. There's also, you know, sure. kind of content reproduction um, repercussions on that too, because mm-hmm. they may be missing out on something that they shouldn't be missing out right. when they leave mm-hmm. the right. classroom. The idea is every student is entitled to a free, appropriate public education mm-hmm. and the least restrictive environment. Mm-hmm. And so we consider the special education environment a very restrictive environment because it's mm-hmm. usually smaller group setting, mm-hmm. um, a curriculum mm-hmm. that um, is more restrictive. It's not the same curriculum that mm-hmm. all the other students are getting. And so mm-hmm. it's something to not take very lightly. Sometimes right. it is, sometimes it's the best solution, you know, f- and right. hopefully the evaluation that I w- would do will kind of point us in the direction to what the student needs. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean, I think that the statistics around when a student um, is identified with a disability and goes into special education, it lasts for a long time. You know, they're, sure. they're yeah. uh, often they're, they'll be in special education or sometimes they'll be in special education for the rest of their school mm-hmm. career until they mm-hmm. graduate. And mm-hmm. so, so again, you have to kind of look at that and be sure that this is something mm-hmm. that's going to be beneficial for them. Mm-hmm. You know, I was going to ask just um, as far as reading goes, uh, how do you determine whether a child has a reading disability? Yeah. Um, are there specific tests that you use or? Yeah, there are. The legal definition of a, of a learning disability, um, which a reading disability or dyslexia would kind of fall under this. When there's kind of an unexpected difficulty with learning for a student due to a breakdown in a basic psychological process. Mm. So it's a student usually with like, you know, from average to above average intelligence who for some reason can't learn how to read or for Mm -hmm. some reason can't learn how to do math or something like Mm -hmm. that there's delays and so the testing that I do number one establishes you know is the student's cognitive skills or their IQ is it you know from average to above average so Mm -hmm. a piece that will generally be included is um IQ testing. Mm -hmm. And so that's a piece. But the way the IQ test is designed, you know, there's a bunch of different areas of processing that go into that overall full scale IQ score. So the full scale IQ score is like the IQ that Mm -hmm. that that you know the combination of all the scores but you kind of would expect to see pretty even development in all the different areas of processing and one thing that I'll look for with that IQ testing is is there an area that's really different um, Mm -hmm. than the other areas so sometimes it might be a super high score in some area but then super low score in another area and Mm -hmm. um, so statistically that's really unusual to see, uh, you know, 20 something Mm -hmm. point difference between the scores that make up the full scale IQ score. So, so that 
IQ testing is like a lot of times the first step in the testing that I do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now for reading, IQ tests really kind of don't give you the definitive information about what really go the processing that's really that research has found to be really important for reading. Mm -hmm. So if it's a student who's having difficulty with reading, another really important part of the testing is looking at what's called the phonological processing. Mm -hmm. Phonological processing is being able to kind of manipulate sounds um, mm -hmm. to discriminate sounds in mm -hmm. language. You guys at BrainSpring know mm -hmm. a lot about that mm -hmm. phonological processing because, you know, the remedy for phonological processing difficulties is that kind of multi-sensory mm -hmm. instruction about with, with um, that phonological processing. So learning mm -hmm. how to break words apart. Um, learning the break this the sounds apart learning how to kind of mm -hmm. uh, discriminate the letter sounds in mm -hmm. in words so that's another piece for a reading referral that I would look at mm -hmm. another huge piece for a reading referral would be something called orthographic processing mm -hmm. first comes that phonological processing or that phonemic awareness um, mm -hmm. phonemic is actually just like kind of a, a small phonological is like a big term mm -hmm. for sound substitution rhyming all mm -hmm. of these different things and mm -hmm. phonemic processing is like the little tiny pieces the the b yeah uh, you yeah. Know, yeah those individual those phonemes yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah individual phonemes you guys know mm -hmm. a lot about that yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so I assess like the phonological phonemic processing and again mm -hmm. that really research you know and there's the research goes way back the science of reading goes pretty f well mm -hmm. you know there was um I think it was 1999 2000 um the national reading panel made a very clear line that that phonological processing mm -hmm. is critical to learning how to read mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um our brains are not wired to read. Mm -hmm. Our brains are wired to speak and to mm -hmm. understand speech, but the reading part is not something that we do naturally. That's something mm -hmm. that we have to be taught to do. We're not going to instinctually kind of um, gravitate toward a page just because it's so enticing. We'll, right. gravitate, toward, we'll gravitate towards somebody telling a story. And right. To us. Mm -hmm. But, you know, a book, unless somebody speaks and tells us about a book that sure. we're not going to, it's not so, so yeah. So that phonological process, th that phonological processing, connecting the oral word mm -hmm. that what we hear to language is something that, that mm -hmm. is critical for reading. How do you test phonological awareness? Mm -hmm. So I'm glad that you asked. <laughs> They're actually, and that's something that in kind of recent years and actually this year, actually, there's a brand new test that my hero of assessment and reading David Kilpatrick was a yeah. big consultant for the people who do kind of pr probably the most widely used IQ testing or, or intelligence scale for children is, mm -hmm. is the common one um, they also do um, achievement testing so that's like the reading testing there was just a new update that just came out this year with the achievement testing that has this phonological the phonemic mm. proficiency test that I feel like is pretty groundbreaking so mm. the goal gold standard up until this point has been something called the comprehensive test of phonological processing. And mm -hmm. Katie, I met you at the the uh, the Inter International Dyslexia Association workshop a few years back. And actually the person that one of the keynote speakers was the guy who like made the CTOP. 
the oh. uh, gold standard. He was one of the, he, you know, so, so, so anyway, this test called the comprehensive test of phonological processing, the, the granddaddy of um, phonological processing tests involved um, looking at phonological awareness. So mm-hmm. say cat, now say cat without saying k. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so just can a can a child, you know, delete a mm-hmm. sound? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, th- then I'll also ask them to okay, um, listen to these sounds, k- act, mm-hmm. blend those sounds, cat. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. can a stu- you know, which you know, we think about reading, sounding out words. You mm-hmm. are blending sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, then also. Uh, the word um, cat has three sounds mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. what's the third sound in the word cat mm-hmm. you know can they segment mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so so that's the phonological awareness kind of activities mm-hmm. that that students have typically done mm-hmm. now kind of a pitfall with that up until really kind of up until now is that's kind of basic phonological awareness and processing, but reading and really like being a fluid reader takes some more advanced kind of phonological processing. Mm-hmm. Like here's the word cat. Can you change the k to ch mm-hmm. and what you get chat? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or can you say the word cat backwards? Mm-hmm. Can you, mm-hmm. you know, tack, tack, mm-hmm. you know, and so that kind of advanced phonological process processing is something that to become a really like highly successful reader you kind of have to go to that level so Mm -hmm. blending and segmenting is super is super important for being able to decode words Mm -hmm. Um, but to be able to do it like with ease you kind of even have to take it to an advanced level Mm -hmm. another kind of problem and I don't want to disrespect the seat top because it's because again it's the granddaddy mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but another kind of problem that would happen especially for people especially for kids who maybe had been exposed to like Orton Gillingham or you know one of the other kinds of um, multi-sensory reading programs where they're learning about blending and segmenting mm-hmm. the seat top a kid could take as long as they want and I could repeat the and I could repeat it for them too so so there's a big difference between um okay so say cat now say cat without saying k. Mm-hmm. a kid who says you know who says at or a kid who's like okay mm-hmm. at yeah you know, so, so it's that automaticity piece that, that automaticity yeah, yeah. so they get and, unlimited processing time yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. and so so the kid who said at immediately and the kid who had to kind of struggle with it and self-correct is going to get the same score. Uh, And so what we find is older kids or kids who have like been taught a little bit can give you the right answer for full credit, but Mm. they're still a piece that isn't there for Mm. them. So they've learned the rules and, you know, they've learned kind of Mm -hmm. that awareness of what to look for, but they're not easy with it. And Mm -hmm. that kind of leads to the, other area and so so anyway it hasn't been out for that long for me to you know it's like just like a few months really Mm -hmm. uh, to to, for me to totally you know but but I'm I'm excited about it because with this new test the kid who says at will get two points but I'm gonna count one one thousand two yeah and if they take longer than that two seconds or if I have to repeat it to them they're Mm -hmm. only gonna get one point 
Mm-hmm. It's that's just like, like the past yeah, assessment. it's the past. Right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. it is. And so it's totally the past only, only the problem with the past. And so the past is a phonological awareness screening test. Pretty, uh-huh. it yeah. yeah, it is the past only the, the only thing is with this one, they've actually so all of the tests that I am like trained to use and kind of the reason why the reason why I get paid the big bucks. <laughs> Not, but or the reason I had to go through so much training is because the tests that you have to use when you're making these kind of high stakes decisions have to be what they're called norm referenced. And so mm-hmm. there has to be research and they have to give this test in the same way mm. to thousands of kids, mm-hmm. right? You know, they have to do it, you know, just very scripted. You can't mm-hmm. alter the way you give it, you know, and, mm-hmm. and they do, you know, statistical comparisons. Um, mm-hmm. And so, so to see, he, maybe he couldn't say at from cat, but what's normal. And mm-hmm. so, you know, so that's nor that's where the word, you know, normal, that's where yeah. normal yeah. comes from. That's mm-hmm. so, yeah. So the past was great. I actually used to do it with kids a lot, like to make some observations. But when it comes to making those high stakes decisions to take a kid out of the, you know, into the a more restrictive environment, you have to have the statistics to back up that this really isn't normal. And mm-hmm. so you have to use mm-hmm. a test that's gone through that kind of national mm-hmm. norming. And so this new um, test on the Wyatt, I, it's like I'm selling the Wyatt. I, is it not the, paying me anything. I was going to um, ask you, is it the Wyatt? That's the name of the test. The, was, yeah, yeah, the Wyatt. Yeah. The Wyatt. Okay. And so this mm-hmm. is the Wyatt um, mm-hmm. 4. Okay. So an update that just came out this fall. Okay. And so this is something that is unique to really kind of getting at not just that phonological awareness, but also that proficiency and automaticity, mm-hmm. which is something that kind of hits on that other area that I kind of mentioned that orthographic piece. So orthographic is actually, I should say phonological processing is just the sounds. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not actually, you're not putting a letter to the sounds. It's being able to manipulate sure. the sounds, recognize mm-hmm. something rhymes and things, no letters connected to it. Mm-hmm. Um, orthographic processing, you take the sound and you connect it to the symbol. You collect mm-hmm. it, you connect it to a letter mm-hmm. and you do it quickly. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. that's where the phonics piece. So phonics sure. is actually connecting the sound to the letter mm-hmm. and to be able to do that automatically. Mm-hmm. So that phonological process, if you don't have the phonological processing, you're not going to get, you know, you're not going to be very good at making the connection. Right. To the no matter, right. no matter how good a memory you have, it's going right. to be shaky. It has to come first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. It has to come mm-hmm. first, um, you know, and, but then there's, but then the other pieces, you know, making that, that connection. Now, a thing that is kind of counterintuitive, you know, everybody's like, oh, okay, so that's the visual, you know, print, you know, and so there must be some visual processing problem for a a student who's dyslexic. That totally makes sense. And it's totally been a red herring in the research. Yeah. Because, you know, try as we may, it's not mirror writing. It's not, you know, that B and D reversal, they're really not finding that it's a visual processing problem. It's not Mm -hmm. that kids Mm -hmm. are seeing things wrong. In Mm -hmm. fact, 
actually, it might even be that a kid who's reversing their B's and D's might actually be visually very sophisticated. Mm -hmm. They have a fantastic visual memory to know because a B and a D, what's different about a B and a D? They're both circles with lines coming off of them. Mm -hmm. You know, the names of them rhyme, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and so there's a lot of things that are alike about a Mm -hmm. B and a D. And so it really kind of makes sense that people use a B and D. And actually that's, it's pretty good. They're doing what they can. What they're missing is that B, D. Those are two sounds. And so, so if they're shaky with sounds, they're going to, you know, approximate, you know, they're, they're making a connection. Oh, the, but it's, uh, it's this, you know, they're, they're making that association, but it's a shaky, imperfect mm-hmm. association. So what they found is it really is, it's not a visual processing problem. It's a problem mm-hmm. integrating that spoken word um, mm-hmm. with the visual in an automatic way. It's a shaky path. In our training, we show a video, you know, what is dyslexia? And, and they say, it's not about how you see language. It's how you manipulate language. Exactly. It's really making, Katie, you probably are thinking the same thing I am. As you're speaking and talking about this, Mariana, I'm thinking, gosh, we're doing a really good job. <laughs> I mean, we're really, really, really talking about all of these things that you're talking mm-hmm. about. And actually in our trainings, we're, we're adding more and more and more on phonological and phonemic awareness because mm-hmm. any phonics program is not going to be successful unless a kid has phonological and phonemic awareness. And so, um, and so we are, we've, we're adding more and it's really nice to hear you saying the things that we're doing it right. And that's validating. It's validating. Exactly. (laughs) Not that, not that we knew it, we we didn't think we were, but I mean, it is nice to hear. (laughs) Well, Mm -hmm. you know, and honestly too, even for a student who doesn't have problems with the phonological processing, building up those muscles with the phonological awareness is is important and mm-hmm. you know and with Orton Gillingham too you're making the connection with the letters as well mm-hmm. so you're making the sounds it being mm-hmm. multi-sensory you're kind mm-hmm. of hitting all those things at the same time because it's those associations that are so for an orthographic processing difficulty you know there can be you know and so there are students who have some good phonological skills but their problem really is in making that path making the mm-hmm. connection between the sound and sim- mm-hmm. the, the sound and the symbol so what normally happens um, you know when a student's first learning to read there's a lot of brain activity going on in that language area but it quickly moves into a more automatic area of the brain it's, and things are less lit up they don't mm-hmm. have to be working as hard with it. For some students who have this sound symbol association problem, making that connection and integrating that, it might take a typical reader learning a word three times to like Mm -hmm. own that word. You know, they'll Mm -hmm. see that word sequence and they'll be able to see it, um, you know, and, and those students, they're not sounding out the word anymore. They like own that word and Mm -hmm. seeing it as a whole unit. So Mm -hmm. orthographic processing has to do with kind of like that word, fast word recognition, Mm -hmm. recognition, you're recognizing the sequence and you're not sounding it out. You don't, Mm -hmm. you're not using that piece anymore. And it's Mm -hmm. a lot easier and more efficient. Somebody with problems with that orthographic processing, maybe will take 20 exposures to Mm -hmm. the same word before they own it. And so Mm -hmm. that multisensory piece is for one thing, increasing and deepening the pathways to make the associations. So Mm -hmm. if you think about, okay, fluency is like you're cross country Mm -hmm. skiing. And Mm -hmm. the first time you go through that 
that snow, it's really hard to, it's, mm. it's really hard to get through. But once you've kind of greased up that mm. pathway, it's easier and you're gliding mm. faster. It's, you know, you're, it's more efficient. It mm-hmm. feels pretty fun. Maybe mm. not be so fun if you're like going through inches and inches of snow. So say somebody with orthographic problems, it's like really wet icy sticky snow that Mm -hmm. they're going through it's not like it's not nice powder Mm -hmm. and so it's Mm -hmm. it's just so much harder for them Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so Mm -hmm. to make those associations Mm -hmm. they can do it but it's they're gonna have to use more strength to do it yeah 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 and so those those are the big areas that Uh I'll look for with when we're talking about a learning disability being a breakdown of a basic psychological process related to some kind of learning for reading, phonological processing, number one, orthographic mm-hmm. kind of number two. There are other things like working memory is something mm-hmm. that's important. Mm-hmm. Working memory is something called an executive functioning. So mm-hmm. that's kind of managing, you know, being able to hold something in your head for long mm-hmm. enough to do something with it. So reading, mm-hmm. you're seeing those, you know, you're seeing those letters, um, remembering that sequence of letters sounding them out together and then mm-hmm. reading comprehension to a different story you know mm-hmm. that's you're seeing those words and holding them in your mind long enough to make meaning out of it mm-hmm. so so working memory is another thing that's important mm-hmm. but so the C tops test um in addition to the phonological awareness piece another component of that is something called the rapid naming rapid mm-hmm. naming test and so mm-hmm. and it's funny because it always didn't really like make sense to me to call that a phonological skill because that what you do with those tests is there's a page full of numbers or a page full of letters and you're just I take a stopwatch and say read these you know Mm-hmm. To say the names of these letters as fast as you can. Mm-hmm. And so they're, blah, blah, blah. and so some kids will do it really fast because those connections are going, are really, mm-hmm. are really running for them. Um, and mm-hmm. some kids will take longer. Interestingly, usually numbers are a lot faster than letters. But then when you think about it, there's 26 letters that you're having to make the associations with. And there's, right. only, you know, and there's yeah. only 10 numbers. And so, right. Right. so it is faster. But those, you know, that's kind of a, a way that, that hits in on the orthographic processing Mm -hmm. again. Like I was always like, you know, rapid naming doesn't really seem like it sounds and you know, it it isn't, and it isn't really. So it was always kind of strange that that was called a phonological process Mm -hmm. to me Mm -hmm. and stuff. But now um, again, you know, the advances in research. So when you think about that, it's like a split second difference. Uh, Somebody with orthographic difficulties, it's not like it takes that, you know, it might feel like it takes them forever, but just a split second when you're reading, if you're not like, it's a nanosecond. And so it doesn't take much to like have difficulty with that. So when you think about like measuring that, that's pretty hard, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. but, you know, just as an examiner, you've got a stopwatch that you're having to manipulate. And it's like, if you hit it and if they, and if the kid like stops and stops to say, Oh, I saw this, that, you know, and like yeah. spits off task, it's like, <laughs> uh-huh. that's spoiled. And so that's something that, and that the science has taken in also, I think also too, we've been on a wild goose, goose chase for visual processing stuff too. Yeah. And so yeah. I yeah. think we don't know as much about the orthograph, what to do with orthographic processing as we know about mm-hmm. the phonological processing. Mm-hmm. Multisensory is kind of cool. You know, it's kind of cool that it went in that path because the multisensory um, kind of teaching programs, the repetition that's mm-hmm. involved and again, the coordinating um, the channels that things are coming through that makes that's something that 
is mm -hmm. good at increasing that fluency. Mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. so there's a book called Language at the Speed of Sight that came out just a couple years oh. ago. Um, Mark Seidenberg. It's dense, and I won't say that I've completely finished reading all of it. But, <laughs> but he, there's new kind of brain imaging. You know, the technology behind being able to measure this stuff is kind of new in mm -hmm. neuroscience. You know, so mm -hmm. they're now able to hook people kids yeah. up to you know a functional um mri, MRI and yep. see what's going on what part mm -hmm. of the brain is lighting up and so mm -hmm. i think that it's kind of exciting and i think neuroscience i think is like becoming such a popular um mm -hmm. area of study i think in colleges these days because mm -hmm. so much is happening um yeah it is so. it's fascinating uh the mm -hmm. brain yeah. and i i love i mean i as much as i can i include you know a discussion about the brain because that's what we're doing. We're we're right. changing the brain, you know, when we when we're, when we're teaching that way. So, and that's yeah. something kind of exciting too. Like, talk, mm -hmm. I mean, it, there's research about the phonological processing that it's changing the brain. Yeah, who mm -hmm. have had that kind of multisensory instruction start actually processing reading in a different part of mm -hmm. the brain where. Um, people who don't have disabilities process. And right, so right. It, that's, really that's what that whole Shaywitz study was, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. Sally, yeah. that Sally fMRI yeah. study that, you know, gosh, poor readers after a structured literacy program, um, their brains start to resemble good readers' brains. Right. It's like, mm -hmm. wow, that's yeah. amazing. So mm -hmm. I always tell teachers that, you know, hey, what you're doing is the most, imp it, it's an incredible thing that you're doing when mm -hmm. you're teaching yeah. kids to read, you're mm -hmm. changing their brain, you're mm -hmm. changing their life. Mm -hmm. so, so powerful. So powerful. So, so powerful. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Well, you know, and it, like, I'm just thinking about one thing about like um, this thinking about assessment and testing and stuff mm -hmm. um, and the limitations around um, some of it. It's like uh, we, if we don't have a test for it, then it's like it doesn't exist. Mm. Um, and so that's mm. the thing, you know, intuitive, you know, it's like, well, um, so if we could, so when we can identify phonological, we've had tools to identify phonological processing difficulties, but sometimes kids do fine with that stuff, but they still can't read. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and we haven't, and because we haven't had the test for that, that process of that orthographic, we kind of just call it, say, well, it must be the phonological processing, mm -hmm. or, or if, it, if we don't have a way to measure it, then we can't, then, then we're not identifying mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And that's something that is very frustrating in this mm -hmm. field, you know, I mean, yeah. the science, you know, keeping, and so, um, so mm. that's, yeah, that's something that I think about mm -hmm. testing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, every, everything you said, Mariana was, I mean, I, it was, you need to come and work for brain spring. You need to be on the circuit with us or so, something. You know, actually, so, so, you know, kind of in my profession, so part of, so that big long list of different kind of um, degrees that I've pursued, <laughs> like include, like, it, you know, I feel like um, there's been like a quest for, you know, and, and so actually, so like that frustration that I'm talking about, like, mm -hmm. like, you know, my work, if there's not a test for it, yeah, yeah, then I actually have nothing to offer the uh, student, 
um, for help because the only thing that I have to offer is a diagnosis that Mm -hmm. will allow them to have special education. So, Mm -hmm. well, guess what? The statistics about special education and like the delivery system are not so great. It's actually special education is isn't necessarily so successful in closing the gap mm-hmm. um, for for students with reading difficulties. Um, special education doesn't necessarily involve multisensory, t- the, the kind of, so right, we're making right. a diagnosis, but then mm-hmm. not necessarily giving access to the medicine. It's I like, was gonna, yes, mm-hmm. right. You I know, was going like to ask the, you, so if, when you, if you make a diagnosis like that, um, and put it in the IEP that, that this is what the child needs. Um, if the school, then the teachers need to be trained in, in this kind of thing. So, yeah. um, So that's a big, you know, so, you know, it's funny. Um, school psychology is an interesting profession in that. So, okay. Like I'm a scientist, like that's really, mm -hmm. you know, like I'm hired because I have, training in the science of psychology to do these Mm -hmm. tests, Mm -hmm. you know, to do these tests in an ethical, you know, Mm -hmm. the, with integrity. And Mm -hmm. so, so, so that's kind of my job and it's to make a diagnosis that will, you know, lead to Mm -hmm. a prescription Mm -hmm. and stuff. Mm -hmm. So, but for a school psychologist, you're also working, you know, the school part. So you're in education. And so, Sometimes I have like a real ethical dilemma about um, my job, you know, like knowing, okay, when you see a kid who's lagging behind with the reading skills, um, I, people, you know, everybody actually, the teachers, the parents all want me to find a disability. Like Mm -hmm. they're, they're hoping Mm -hmm. that I'm going to find something wrong with the kid. It's like good, you know, it's like such a weird parallel, you know, yeah, it's yeah, actually right. good news to say, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. there's yeah. a reason. Yeah. There's yeah. a reason. Yeah. There's a and reason. now and we can get to a solution. Yeah. Right. And there's a solution yeah. that we can work to. And so, so again, like it's something that I take pretty seriously and mm-hmm. stuff, but, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, and feel like, oh, this is something that could, you know, that, that if you're wrong about it, it could be damaging to the yeah. kid's sense of sure. self-esteem and yeah. also taking them out of the mainstream. And if you're right about it, it could actually be harmful. Maybe if yeah. if they're going to go into a special ed program that isn't using what you should use for the diagnosis, right, right, you know? right. And you know, and I think it's it's such a dilemma for you know, and for teachers too. You know, for a teacher in the regular classroom who hasn't been trained to know about the science of reading and is mm-hmm. you know doing things like saying, oh, if you don't know the word guess, you know, like that, mm-hmm. like guessing yeah. at a word by using the pictures is just as a good a way to learn to read as as Set, breaking down a word and sounding it out no it's that's terrible because yeah. <laughs> a smart kid is going to be able to look at the pictures and sure. you know and you know and and answer all the comprehension questions you're going to throw at them right but then mm-hmm. what happens in you know in third fourth grade when there's no more pictures there yeah exactly. oh all of a sudden mm-hmm. you know and so it's really it ends up um, you know, because like thinking about those pathways, if a kid 
is like making shaky associations between the sound and letters and isn't getting the correction and the practice, then they're not mastering that and they're going to be carrying that um, poor decoding. Um, they're going to, and they're going to be compensate. They're going to be able to answer the questions if they have a good knowledge base. A really smart kid is going to be able to answer questions as long as they kind of know the content or can predict a mm -hmm. story. Um, but when they're read, you know, when they're reading to learn um, and they don't know the content, they're they're going to be lost. But mm -hmm. a lot of times, you know, at that point, the teachers at those levels don't necessarily know how to teach a kid how to read. Um, mm -hmm. you know, that decoding. So the teachers don't have those skills and feel poorly trained. Um, and so they want the kid to go to special education because they feel like, oh, those are the experts. Mm -hmm. So again, like it's, if there isn't the expertise in the teacher training, if we're not using these programs that are based on science, if mm -hmm. we're not using the right medicine for the illness, then mm -hmm. eek, to be the mm. person to identify the illness and, yeah. to see, and to, and to, to say there's something wrong with you and not have a cure for it. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so that can be a real, that can be a real frustration because, you know, schools have so many demands and mm -hmm. so many, so much bureaucracy around mm. or, or it has to take so much buy-in to start a certain program that mm -hmm. and you know and the investment in professional development it's not easy to um to to you know to build that kind of expertise mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. but you know it's it's our responsibility to do it i do feel like um recent strides in the science that are really kind of pinning down ways to identify problems mm -hmm. and and address those problems and kind of more wider kind of professional development in those areas that I think is maybe happening more now but it is it's frustrating because it seems like you know 20 years in you would think that that mm -hmm. um we would be using some of these techniques for all kids and not mm -hmm. have to, and not have to refer them to special education right, for them right, to get it. Right. Mm -hmm. I think that's slowly starting to happen, you know, yeah. very slowly starting to, to move towards tier one um, mm -hmm. for everybody, you know, and mm -hmm. I, I think it's slowly happening, but you're right. It takes, yeah. it's, it's takes it's a long time. time. Yeah. yeah. Well, and there's yeah. stuff, you know, and there's again, like, well, you know, like, the response to intervention movement mm -hmm. that happened, you know, it was that 2000, the reauthorization 2004, I think, um, was when RTI, you know, yeah, that should have been great. That was yeah. really science. It was like saying evidence-based instruction, right. but it forgot that all of these teachers who are out in the field haven't been taught. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So right. Somebody's got to, kind of come in and, and and they would love to be taught but yeah. you know somebody's going to come in and do it mm -hmm. and so again you know in you know and I I have no financial interest in brain spring but the, the <laughs> some stuff that you guys are doing um you know doing you know mm -hmm. doing the teacher training is just that's what we need to do mm -hmm. on a more wide scale and mm -hmm. you know, and as available, you know, the kind of commitment to doing that is yeah. so important. And that's the thing right. that can really make a dis difference. So. Awesome. Mm -hmm.
Yes. Well, um, thank you, Mariana, for coming. Thank on. you. It's nice us. seeing so you. Nice. Yes. Yeah, so nice to see you too. And yeah. um, thank you for listening to all of my stuff about my passion. Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> it our great. passion too. It's ours mm. too. So yep. it was, it was, it's always nice to talk to somebody who feels as excited about reading as you do. So. Well, and it's yeah. always nice to talk to people who are, you know, walking the talk yeah and really yeah. kind of making a difference and and yeah and helping teachers with the training piece too so mm -hmm. thank yeah. you for your delivery yeah well thank you mariana bye bye, bye. have a good night you too we were so glad to have mariana come and join us thanks for listening make sure you subscribe on google or apple bye guys bye